liberalism killed by intersectionality. <laughs> Sounds a little highfalutin, maybe a little too academic, but it's true. You know, while attending college and graduate school many years ago, I met some genuine liberals. Since then, they've all died. You know, that was more than 30 years ago. Liberalism is not an ideology. It's not a philosophy. Liberalism is a kind of hope that if we are open to vision from all voices in the community, we can advance the best ideas for a greater good. Liberalism, in its purest form, is a heart for listening and a constant search for truth. In the words of John Stuart Mill, the silencing of discussion is an assumption of infallibility. Liberalism never silences discussion. It believes within its heart that if freedom of expression is completely liberated, open and free, the optimum best good will surface naturally. Liberalism, in the classical sense, is an open forum, a transparent motive, and an invitation for all to be given a voice. The liberalism I know is dead. The genuine liberal of my college youth has been co-opted by a progressive agenda that marginalizes divergent and outlier voices from within minority populations. It advocates for every minority view to be given a greater voice within a larger majority. Compare this to having a difference of opinion in either a minority or a majority. And I'm sounding a little confused, maybe, but just take a moment to piece these things together. Swallow them. Let them digest. Let's break it down a bit more. The progressive left pushes for every minority to have a voice above that of the majority. In other words, if you are a transgendered black Jew in a Mormon community, your voice should be given greater attention because you are the minority in a majority. According to the progressive thinking of the day, we are more liberal if we give more voice to every 1% minority. Only the 1% minority has all the answers. We are not diverse, therefore, unless we let a super small minority intersect with the majority. Thus the word intersectionality. There's a problem with this. It assumes every minority voice is true to themselves or their culture. We know from sad experience that human beings go along to get along. Most of us fall in line with power and authority. We call this self-protectionism. In countries around the world, people fall in line with the power structure. Even if all the people from the 1% minority populations are perfectly intersected and represented in a larger majority, we cannot assume they are genuine. They could hold the same ideas as the majority. This is not diversity. I remember being interviewed for a position as a tenured college professor. In three separate interviews, I was asked the same question. Who is your favorite female author? Well, maintaining a sense of independence and stubborn independence on my part, I said Ian Rand. She was an outlier of voice within an established majority. If I mentioned a female author from a minority perspective, I could have been hired. 
I was just too much of a divergent independent. The price I have paid to maintain an independent voice has cost me a lot. The modern progressive does not value genuine diversity from independent minds. Instead, today's progressive values the most extreme minority within a larger population. Not the dissenting view within a larger population, but the extreme minority identity within a larger population. Their logic works like this. If we include the voice from the extreme minority, we will have better ideas in healthcare, education, commerce, the environment, farming, communication, science, and so forth. They call this intersectionality. It teaches that our identities intersect in ways that impact how we are viewed, understood, and treated. A black woman is both black and a woman, but because she is a black woman, it is said she endures specific forms of discrimination that a black man or a white woman might not. Therefore, we should give this woman greater voice. Because a majority discriminates a minority, intersectionality puts personal identity first and not the unique voice that each person has. Let me say what I need to say. To seek government, education, healthcare, the environment, and all life issues through the lens of intersectionality categorizes people into micro, tiny boxes, corners, and narrow corridors. The result is hair-splitting tribalism, the opposite of community. Intersectionality is another published injustice and not a way to bring people together. It has no mechanics. It is not a system or a process. It is not a means to make something better. It's simply another fault in humanity. And over time... Like all faults, a fault becomes polluted by those who seek vengeance for wrongs and not a better policy, principle, or practice. You know, I did some research and I found this person. Her name's Kimberly Crenshaw. She wrote a paper and it's titled The Demarginalizing the Intersection of Race and Sex, a Black Feminist Critique of Anti-Discrimination Doctrine, Feminist Theory, and the Anti-Racist Politics. Kind of a long title. But it was the first publication that defined intersectionality outside of legal terminology. You can read her paper. I've got a link on the on the website. Just go to vision or just go to genuineoptimist.com uh, for this post. And I've got this post and I'll look for the title. You see the link there. She focused on the multiple burden, black women, as a single access point of greater discrimination and cited several legal cases to prove her argument. Although a very thick academic read, she did prove that race and sex have a greater risk of discrimination when combined than if they were just assessed alone. And when race and sex are derived from a smaller minority, the greater the discrimination. So... That viable argument she published has morphed considerably over the years to include identity politics. No longer are you discriminated because of race or sex, but because of racial, religious, ethnic, sexual, cultural, and other identities. In other words, with more and more ways to self-identify, we have even greater amounts of discrimination. The victim class has grown exponentially to such a degree that the only solution to solve for the injustice is radical action. What used to be non-violent protest 
in the classical liberal of my youth has now turned into violent action. Liberalism is now lost to leftism and all the statist solutions that it promotes. The logic of intersectionality, as it has morphed into, is that discrimination is getting worse and will continue to grow worse. Even though Kimberly Crenshaw attempted to demolish racial hierarchies altogether, the progressive left has increased hierarchies by demanding more micro-minority identities to be given more, if not equal, voice. Crenshaw said herself that intersectionality isn't an effort to create the world in an inverted image of what it is now. Rather, she said, the point of inter intersectionality is to make room for more advocacy and remedial practices to create a more egalitarian system. How does this work in a democracy? We can understand what advocacy means, but what defines a remedial practice? See, as a genuine optimist, I'm constantly looking at the mechanics. I'm wanting to understand how they promote, how they plan to do something. How do they build it? How do they cook it? How do they make it function? Not just a pie-in-the-sky idea, but actually how it actually works. So anyway, will this remedial practice to create more egalitarian systems include white men with divergent views in a conservative culture? Will it include the dissenting mind in both minority and majority bodies? The concern is that we focus too much on race, sex, sexual orientation, and various identity issues, and not on genuine divergence and dissent for all. You can be a person from many burdened minority corners, but do you have value to add? Intersectionality and identity politics are used not to bring people together, but to give greater voice to hyper-minority issues. This is neither egalitarian nor diverse. It assumes that no person from the majority can have a great idea. The classical liberal approach to include all voices from all corners of the community is dying. It is dying because progressive minds have polluted the liberal spirit of free expression for all. They do not trust in freedom because they believe we are born not equal. I have found that the longer you hold on to this belief that we are born not equal, the more you adopt the lower belief that we are born selfish. There is no escape after this point. Your view of humanity becomes very dark and you lose all hope. You will eventually seek after a solution with more central control, which explains why the modern progressive left is socialistic in their solutions. In other words, they're statists. Compared to common consent, central control is the only solution promoted by the progressive left. It is very sad indeed. Creating more central control destroys freedom. And when we attack freedom, we give up the ghost of classical liberalism. I hope some of us can keep classical liberalism alive long enough before the coming authoritarianism. If we can make it through the darkness that awaits us, we will find a renaissance on the other side. Find The Genuine Optimist at GenuineOptimist.com. Please subscribe and get notified.